Uh, our Bible reading is 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fail, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Well, let's, let's pray. Uh, I'm going to pray with the words of a Keith Green song I was listening to very recently. My eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayer is cold, and I know how I ought to be, alive to you and dead to me, but what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me in you with the wine of your love. Uh, Father, you so kindly speak to us, and we ask you would help us to love and to heed your word this morning as we hear it. In Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if that prayer describes you. It describes many Christians in church. It describes me at times where I feel like where I am is not where I want to be or where I should be. Uh, whether it's my quiet time, whether it's my attitude to church, whether it's uh, just the feelings not being where I want my feelings to be in the Christian life. Uh, just this last week in men's Bible study, we were sharing, and a lot of the men were in that group, in that category, not where they want to be. The question we were asked at the beginning of the study was, would you say you've grown in the last 12 months as a Christian? And there was a lot of hesitation and honesty about that. I'm not sure I have grown, and I'm not overly, I'm not happy with that. Uh, questions about what does growth look like? How does growth come about? Is that even something we're in control of? How do we grow? And how do we grow when we don't feel like growing, and the motivation to grow isn't there? One of my favourite times of the day, especially when our kids were a little bit younger, was the night time 
moment when especially the youngest one's asleep. Uh, the one who doesn't want to go to sleep, perhaps. And you go in and you visit the room and you just see that little angel, that angel face fast asleep and you think, ah, oh, thank you God for making them so cute uh, because it helps me with tomorrow. <laughs> but will you please look after this young child? Please protect their faith in Jesus. Make it grow and grow and grow as their little body grows up. Will you work mightily in this, my daughter? Will you bring her home? It's the father's heart, it's the pastor's heart for, for a congregation, for a church. It's the Bible study leader's heart. It's the friend's heart for the lost or for a friend who's immature in faith. Will you hold on to them and bring them home? One big experience I've had in life, or one shaping experience, was chatting with my Mongolian pastor in Mongolia. Uh, what struck me about the conversation, as he started laying out his plans, he was about 45 at the time, he said, when I'm 55, I'd, I'd love, Lord willing, to be doing something like this. When I'm 65, I'd love to be doing this kind of ministry, as I've had more experience and maturity, and, and as I've, I've grown more. When I'm 75, Lord willing, if I'm still going, this is the kind of ministry I'd love to have. Now, what struck me wasn't the details of the plan, but the intentionality, the deliberateness, uh, the plan to be fruitful. And uh, he had a path he was heading on. He was planning to grow, and he was planning to be fruitful. And it raises the question, doesn't it, whether it's the Bible study, whether it's the <coughs> young child and the cop that we're raising, uh, whether it's the Sunday school kids, whether it's our youth group or youth ministry, Bible study, a congregation, What's our part in growth and what's God's part? How does growth happen? And surely we'd be, we would want to be really clear on that. That's our core business, isn't it? As an individual, as a family, as a church. How does growth happen? What's God's part and what's our part? And that's the wonderful help that this passage gives. And I hope that we're really clear on that in about 25, 30 minutes' time uh, through Peter's help and God's help. And this is, remember, from Peter, one who's had a lifetime of ministry and a lifetime of seeing this happen. On the one hand, we'll see from verses 1 to 4 that it's God's great work in us. Growth is God's work in us. But the second half of the, the, pet, the text we read this morning shows that it's our part as well. That we press on, we go along with God in his work in us. So let's look at verses 1 to 4 to see God's work. And uh, we need to really heed that this is, this is wonderfully good news, especially if we're feeling tired and weak and unable to grow in and of our own strength. So let's, let's read Peter's words. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, have received, notice, a faith as precious as ours. It's an assuring phrase, isn't it? A faith as precious as Peter's. Now, as I said in that brief interview, we know Peter's faith was effective. He's the one in the jokes at the pearly gates letting people in. If anyone's in, in the Christian life, it's Peter. And Peter says, you, who, you Christians have a faith as precious as ours, as effective as ours. 
Grace and peace, he says, verse 2. Those big New Testament realities, God's grace and his peace, be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It's all there on a platter. And we're done, aren't we, with our lives before coming to Christ? And notice the way Peter says from verse 3, we've escaped our old slavery to passions that lead to death and we're now divinely empowered for godliness. God's work. Um, the bridge program that we have at college, it's, it's little motto, it's a, a gap year program, and it, its motto is powered by SNBC. As if to say, look, we're not out on, our, on, out on our own, we've got the resources, the library, and all of these things behind us. But how much more significant to realise that we Christians are powered by God. Powered by God himself. See there verse 3? His divine power. No small thing. What could be greater? Has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. It's a grand description of you, isn't it? You and me. And I wonder if you see your, your life in those grand terms, at least occasionally. Uh, perhaps next time you look in the mirror, you might want to try it. Here's a person, verse 1, who trusts and knows, verse 2, the God-man Jesus, the Saviour. Peter saw it with his own eyes. We benefit from that by faith. Verse 3, here is one who receives God's divine power. Here is a man, a woman, before me in the mirror, who shares in his divine nature the power of God holding your life, the breath of God in you, even the blood of God in place of yours. So when we look in the mirror, we can say to ourselves, you're not who you were. There's a great power of God working in you for his good purposes. Even if we look very ordinary in the mornings, in the mirror. I love the phrase Jesus uses of, of disciples when he calls them, and Christians, the children of light. Here before me in the mirror stands a child of light. I need those words in my weakness. I sometimes don't feel like I'm very victorious or growing very much. I remember the change in my friend Duncan at youth group when I was probably 19 myself. Duncan was probably 15. Uh, Duncan started coming to church with his mum because his mum really wanted to go. Duncan didn't really, but to his credit, he was in the skating culture. He always wore really dark clothes and had long hair, uh, quite sullen. Uh, didn't show much expression in his face, but he was there with his mum. Uh, over a few months of sitting in church, uh, talking to people after church, people just coming up and being friendly to him, the church started noticing a change in Duncan. He just started lightening up a little bit and, and smiling and, and relaxing. There came a moment when Duncan gave his life to Christ, and the new Duncan hardly resembled the old Duncan at all. 
And I remember he said, I've got to give up my skateboard. It's been an idol way too long. I've got to give it up. It's, it's all Jesus now. I'm living for Jesus. The new Duncan. God was clearly, so clearly working in his life for all of the church to see. But friends, this same God is doing the same work in each of us as well. Even if it's far less obvious to us nowadays, many years on perhaps. In my year at Ashfield, I remember there was, a, I think a woman, I think her name was Anne, some of you might remember, and she was going to a Bible study group, from, she was from main, mainland China, and she came to faith in that group. And I remember her sharing, I, I've just never seen a community like this. I've never seen a group who cares for each other and loves someone like me, a stranger, and has so much hope uh, coming out of this book, the Bible. Now, what might have felt like a very ordinary Bible study to this Bible study group was striking to someone who was looking at it from the outside. And so with this new, empowered, hope-filled, victorious picture of ourselves, all thanks to God, what then should we do with that? What do we do with that picture? We don't want to just leave it at that. And Peter's going to urge us to actively cooperate now with what God's doing in our lives. We know what God's doing, so let's cooperate. With his life and with his breath, with his promises and with his power, let's get on board with God in the work he wants to do in me. Let's be deliberate. C.S. Lewis compared it with an adult taking a child's hand when a child's learning to write. And it's first A and B and C. And he says, isn't, isn't God like that? Like a parent teaching the child to write, but using our whole lives as we write the story of our lives. God guides our hand with his in the new way that we're to, to move. We're free to be his, and so we, we learn what it is to be his. We stop our stubborn attempts of sailing into the headwind called God. Kicking against the goads, as the Lord Jesus put it. And instead, God gently turns our little boats around and invites us to raise the sail and enjoy working with the Almighty God in our lives rather than against Him. The old way just ends in exhaustion, waste of a life and self-destruction and ultimately, eternal shipwreck. The other way leads to a great blessedness of life, a fullness of life. Not without difficulty, but a fullness of life, a sure arrival to the eternal home that he made us to enjoy. That's the kind of life my Mongolian pastor was, was, was aiming for and very deliberate about. Well, how do we raise our sail? How shall we become more established and grow in our faith and knowledge? And here Peter gives us seven new checkpoints. The new coordinates as we set sail in God's direction. And they might seem very ordinary in a way, but let's have a look at them. Verse 5. For this very reason, in light of verses 1 to 4, make every effort to add to your foundational faith, trait number one, goodness, or virtue. It's the same goodness of God mentioned in verse 3. A moral excellence, a purity, a wholesomeness of life. And I wonder if you know people in this church who you would say live 
a life of goodness, of virtuousness. I can think of relatives of mine. I can think of people I know in your congregation. Congregations. People who pursue and delight in what is good. Their character makes them reliable people. They are unassuming models to others of what's truly wholesome and right. And I wonder if anything is hindering God's work in you to be just like that. To be more like those you aspire to. Are there things that just have to go from your life to be more like that? Trait number two says, and to goodness, knowledge. Is knowledge really all that important? Yes. You were saved through what you heard and what you came to understand about Jesus. And your growth now is also through understanding. Having questions, seeking answers from your friends, from your growth group, from your pastors. I realise more and more it's not the TV that I need in my life more and more and more of, or social media. It's God's Word and God's people and, and fellowship, the means of grace. Word and prayer and fellowship, that's what's good for me. That's what I want to pursue. Knowledge makes a difference. Changes our decisions. Verse 6, he says to knowledge, add number 3, self-control. You know, if you aren't in control of your life, who is? If we're not consciously directing our diet, our routines, our desires, our temper, our tongue, our lust for money, and when we have reached enough, if we're not in control of these things, who is? The Spirit brings this wonderful gift to us <coughs> called self-control. That's one of the least valued gifts of the Holy Spirit. Christ's likeness does not come by accident, but through this new ability to control how we live, to make decisions that are good for us. And oh, how our world misses this precious ability. With it, God changes every day of our lives. I'm so tempted to run my wife down at this point, or run my husband down, but I won't. I feel I probably should say sorry. So I will go and say sorry. I could wash those dishes there or I could just zoom by to the other room and no one would know I even notice them. I'll stop by and I'll, I'll wash those dishes. Here I am wallowing in self-pity and it's making me miserable. Lord, lead me out of that into thankfulness. Help me control my thinking my emotions in. That's one area I've been really wrestling with. I think it came out of that period of tiredness that I'd lost some control over my thinking, worrying about tomorrow, dreading things that are ahead. And I have to watch that at college. At the moment I have about four new hours of lectures a week, so next week's lectures aren't ready. Uh, and you can easily start dreading that or worrying about it, the unprepared material. I'm sure you have things in your lives that might come to mind now is that the thing you naturally tend to worry about, whether it's a person or a relationship, 
money perhaps. And so in the front of my diary I have a list of Bible verses that are a tonic for me. And I try to read them most days and, and they, they pinpoint my areas of need. Being strong and courageous. Not, being, not worrying about anything. Not being anxious. Trusting in God. And you know what? It makes a difference. I seem to get less grumpy and less anxious. It really makes a difference. It sounds silly to even say that, doesn't it? Of course it does. But God is helping me out of what's, I think, a natural inclination to self-pity as well. Out of wearisome thought patterns that I've perhaps carried for a long time, into the obedience of peace and joy and gratitude instead. You know, it makes a massive difference to my marriage if I thank God for my wife every morning. It's on my list. I thank God for my wife, my oldest son, my second son, my third child, my fourth child. And it helps me see them in a different way. And I, I, I treat them differently because they're a gift to me. God's helping me through these things. When I was talking to my mum about maybe a challenge I had recently, she said, oh, well, David, I'm sorry you've inherited my disposition to um, have that melancholy personality and things do get on top of you. And as I thought about it, I thought, Mama, I'm not sure by God's grace that that still describes me in the way that it used to. God's been lifting me out of it, hour by hour, week by week, verse by verse. Joy, peace. I'm actually learning to be optimistic about next week's preparation because I know God's there. And I reflect on His goodness to me in my life and know it's going to be no different next week. Trait number four, to self-control, he says, perseverance. This isn't a magic formula, but these are the kinds of traits that, that are the general uh, life of going God's way, following Jesus. To Tuesday builds on Monday, perseverance. 2018, building on 2017. 2019, we'll be building on this year. As Eugene Peterson calls it, the long obedience in the same direction. Christian life often feels like a long obedience in the same direction, and that's okay. Keep going. When we watched our kids in a cross country up near Armadale, um, we were amazed that they got into the district cross country. They had just come from Mongolia in an apartment where we lived. It's freezing cold over there, so they weren't athletic. Uh, but Ashley, to her credit, took them around the local fields just to get them primed a bit. And amazingly, you know, it's a tiny school, that helped, but they got into the district competition. And we were amazed um, as we, we, we saw them disappear, but as they came back, they were still running. Wow, one was going, I think, four kilometres. Wow, that's, a, that's amazing. And so I, as a proud dad, was watching, thinking, keep going, my son, you know, as they're coming out onto, back onto the oval to finish. Keep going, my daughter. You may not feel like you're going so well because there's all those people in front of you. You may not be feeling so like it's going so well because it's hurting you. Your lungs are in pain. But I, as your dad, am so proud of the way your little legs keep running. Keep going. Your dad thinks you're going so well. Keep going. You know, church ministry can feel tiring, 
painful, slow going, misunderstood but don't have a chance to explain yourself, be threatened or manipulated, might feel like your growth group needs to be renamed, it's going backwards, feeling like it's one step forward and two steps back, keep going little legs, keep going. Honouring your parents as they age, keep going. Loving your spouse, keep going. Resisting pornography, keep going. Trying to habitually listen to people more than talk at them, keep going. These little victories are actually big. These little victories are moving on from sin. That's what sanctification is all about. The work of the Holy Spirit is all about miraculous, big, big little victories. And so if you're on a path devoted to Jesus, would not God our Father say, keep going, little leagues, keep going. Perseverance, it's a wonderful gift that God gives us. And to perseverance, he says, make every effort. Add to your faith godliness. Verse 6. A word that we might hear often, but what is it? I think it's a life that is rightly aware of God. It's a life that treats God as God. Living as though He's near and holy and glorious and gracious. You know why? Because He is near and holy and glorious and gracious. I think it's the New Testament term for the Old Testament's fear of the Lord. Walking with a sense of God's presence and power and goodness and awe before Him. Who we are when no one's watching. People who don't have a facade, we don't have a second face, bit by bit, as we grow as Christians. No public and private life distinction. Your friends are those who grow to have no fear about what you say behind their back because they grow to trust you. Because you are who you are before God in public and in private. What a noble and refreshing way to live. In this distrusting world of ours, where people might have you as their only genuine friend, a person of the deepest integrity, a person of godliness. And to godliness, verse 7, he adds, Brotherly kindness or brotherly love, the word Philadelphia. Love you have for your family. Who are my family? Well, here's the thing. Remember when Jesus was told, Jesus, your mother and brothers are outside to speak with you. Remember Jesus' response? He pointed to his disciples and he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You and I all have the same Father. We are family. And so Jesus and Peter's radical teaching in this first century context in which they were written is that the church, our Christian brothers and sisters, you might want to just go on and have a look around. Your brothers and sisters here these are not your second-tier family, but 
Jesus would, I think, have us describe them as our first tier family, our eternal family. I think we tend to be okay looking after our birth family when they have new babies, when they lose babies, when they're lonely, when they get old or just need phone calls every now and again. Now and again. But God wants us to see each other as our true family. Church is our Sunday morning family get-together. One of God's greatest gifts to us is each other. And so we grow in brotherly love, which of course is going to help us along, isn't it? As we walk the path of Jesus. But he says in verse 7, that's brotherly kindness love. The brotherly love add love. Now some of the more liberal commentaries will say, oh, this is clumsy authorship, isn't it? There's another redundancy. Peter, after all, is not a scholar, if Peter indeed wrote it. It's not clumsy. It's emphasis. The same thing Peter does in 1 Peter, to brotherly love and love. Don't miss the chief virtue. And Paul also stresses as the chief virtue, love and love again. I love how love is a great leveller. Um, however great we might think we are, the, the love test humbles us, doesn't it? I remember uh, my supervisor was working in Cambridge for a long time and there was news of this hotshot scholar coming from America to join them at Cambridge, potentially. And he's got this uh, background, he's written these articles and these books. And my supervisor at the time said, yes, but is he a loving person? Almost as an afterthought. I'm a Presbyterian of Presbyterians, a Baptist of Baptists, Anglican of Anglicans. Do you like people? Do you care for people? Loving people are often those who get their hands dirty, their schedules altered, they're so often behind the scenes loving. My dad says, you see, you find the, says, you find the greatest people at church in the kitchen. He, he likes going in there and he's a hands-on person and loves in, in the sink. But the, he loves the conversation he has there with the behind the scenes loving, serving people. Love will make us more like Jesus, whose spirit of holiness persists in this work of holiness in us. Now, how are you feeling? I, at this point, in the list, if I'm starting to think of this as a ladder, my ladder to God, I'm starting to feel a bit overwhelmed. If we see this as a ladder to reach God or to reach God's pleasure with us, it will cripple us. Or if we think we're on our own in the climb, we could become apathetic and like perhaps my men's Bible study get to the point of near despair and our lack of progress. But verse 3, remember, His divine power has given us all we need for life and godliness. And so we can say, God, with your power, with your wind in my sails, with your hand guiding mine as I write this life, with these noble good directions that you give, these new coordinates, I'll go your way. <coughs> By your grace, I'm determined to go your way. I 
I've been surprised many times as I've encountered different churches as the way they just go about caring for each other. Um, we, when we did move to Walker, we found an amazing welcome, just in ordinary acts. Someone had brought a pot of soup. Um, occasionally a farmer would bring a leg of lamb. Uh, people would just check in on us and see how we're going. I had an elder who would sometimes just come and say, can I read the Bible and pray with you and pray for you? Each one probably thinks they're not doing very much. Another one just us settle into schools. But together they made our lives so much more fruitful. We could settle, we could get into ministry, we could be more productive. Because as a church, they were showing Christ's attributes and being like Him. These things, if we put them into practice, we don't have to worry about being fruitful. Fruit follows character. We won't be able to help the fruit just falling off the branches. See there in verse 8? For if, or since, perhaps, these qualities being yours in increasing measure, these will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive, literally unfruitful, in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So friends, how interested are we in these? Um, as our Bible study group asked, are we interested and how can we even get more interest in it? Well, I tell you what, what helps me is thinking about the antonyms, the opposites of these traits. Chapter 2 of 2 Peter, Peter actually spells out what the kind of life looks like if we ignore these things. The cost of lacking goodness is living with some depravity. And depravity comes with terrible, painful costs to you and to others. The lack of knowledge is living with ignorance. Again, costly. Lacking self-control means a life tarnished by our appetites. If we're not persevering, we're having spits and spurts of fruitfulness, perhaps. If we're not godly, then we're having a shameful distrust of our good Father. If we lack brotherly love and love, then perhaps we're justifying fruitless isolationism, where we say with Cain, I am not my brother's keeper. And I ask you as I ask myself, what fruit and what joy have these alternatives to God's ways ever brought you? Why do we think we owe them even one more minute of our lives, of our loyalty? Why do we try to justify sin in our lives? Make every effort, Peter says, verse 5. Possess them in increasing measure, he says, verse 8. Steer clear of the ugly antonyms. That's our old, unforgiven life, as Peter says in verse 9. Therefore, he says in verse 10, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Paul says something similar in Philippians. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. As if the other benefits weren't enough. Besides ministry fruitfulness, these ways of Christ that we cultivate lead to assurance of a welcome into an eternal kingdom because we see the Spirit at work in our lives. 
And that moment where the welcome comes. Hey, little ladies. Welcome. I've brought you home. Sheep of the Good Shepherd, I've led you as you followed your master's voice. Welcome. Is this salvation by works? No, it's all by grace. But God's love for us now as his children means he won't leave us stuck in our sin. He helps us out of it. That's what it's all about. And so while every appearance of things might seem like we should just give up, just succumb to that sin again, be stingy, that Jesus' ways aren't worth persisting with, be assured Jesus in these very ways is bringing his people home. These are the means God is using in us. And so I ask you, do you realise the potential your life has? as individuals and as congregations. How you live matters. I wonder if that's dawned on you. How you live matters eternally. God gives you the dignity of more than a token participation in his purposes, not only for your own life, but for countless others. Your life has too much potential to squander on yourself or on sin. You could be leading people into an eternal kingdom. Please, give your life wholly to Him. You could, this is what I've got in the front of my diary as well. I just wrote it to myself, to tell myself every day, David, my time under God has too much potential to squander or lose focus. I could, under Him, lead people to heaven. I could prepare people for heaven. And I can even train people to do the same. I mustn't trifle. I mustn't trifle. Well, let's pray. Now, Father, sometimes life feels like we're losing in a marathon and we wonder why we're even doing it. We love you as our Father. We rely on you as our Father. We recognise that you are our only hope. And Father, this morning we celebrate the mighty working of your Spirit that often we are barely even aware of. But we take you at your word and hear you as you tell us you're mightily working in us. And that our little victories against sin are big. Each time we say no to sin, we're learning to say yes to you. And we celebrate this morning that you are bringing us home. And we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.